by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself, himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. As we dig in, I ask that you guys would first join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for giving us your word. We ask that um, you would send your Holy Spirit to to, to affect our hearts and our minds and and reveal its meaning and and what you want us to get out of it today. Lord, if there is anything that I say today that is not to your glory and is not from you, Lord, may it be forgotten um, and discarded. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. There are certain memories um, that always seem to pop up from time to time. I, I, I always thought, for a while I thought that was just me, but I've learned that it's more than just me, that you'll be walking along and, and all of a sudden this memory from 10, 20 years ago will just all of a sudden come to mind. And it, it, for whatever reason, it, was, it wasn't prompted, it just, it just is there. And sometimes they're good memories, and sometimes they're, or most of the time for me at least, they're not good memories. There are always times when I was embarrassed or uh, when I said something and I wish I could have said it a different way or, 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 or not said it at all. Um, one of those memories was back in fourth grade. We were in class, and much like uh, we just did with the kids, we were given a bunch of building blocks, and we were told to, to complete a task with these building blocks and broken up into groups of three. Now, I, being a very experienced block builder, I had much experience with Legos, had a plan on how my group should accomplish this task. However... Another girl in my group, who was just as stubborn as me, had her own idea of how we should accomplish this task. So after quibbling a little bit about whose idea we should go to, uh, we both kind of started building our own things, and I recruited the third person onto my side. Um, But there weren't enough building blocks for both of us. And so when the teacher came around and and started kind of grading us all on on what we were doing, um, we had two viable but incomplete structures as you see here there's there's some good designs there's the model of the titanic but it's not quite complete there just weren't enough blocks to build an entire titanic today 
So as our teacher's going around and going from group to group, I'm feeling pretty confident. One, because none of the other groups came even close to completing the task. They weren't even on the right track. But two, because I'd gotten that other group member on my side. And so, of course, when the teacher comes, she's going to see that, well, this one girl was just, you know, being stubborn. She wouldn't listen. She wouldn't follow. And, and I, was in, I was in the right there. But instead, when she got there, she looks at our work. She gets this really stern look on her face. And she rebuked all of us, saying, looks like that you have too many generals and not enough soldiers. That was a really hard concept for my fourth grade brain to comprehend. Especially because the people that have always been held up, um, or seem to always be held up as as examples in my life, were the leaders or the generals. We're supposed to grow up to be like them, to be the leaders. And all the t-shirts I kept getting for free were always glorifying being an individual, being different from everyone else. and, And go do your own thing, follow your dreams. And we continue to do, that, to do that today, to glorify the leaders and the generals exclusively. Next week is the Super Bowl, and all the discussion that you've heard leading up to this revolves around the quarterbacks and the head coaches, the field generals of the team. These are the people that get the attention and the recognition, not their, their linemen or, or everyone else that's playing or, or working in the booths or doing everything to support the team. No, it's these one people that we identify as the leaders and we glorify, and and we pay all of the attention to. And in our culture, we also insult and deride people that we don't see as living up to this individualistic idea of our culture. We call followers sheep. Or looking up on the, uh, the, the pop culture urban dictionary, under follower you'll see the definitions that followers are people who contribute very little to society who have very little ability to think for themselves and be independent in mind. And yet the problem that my fourth grade teacher was showing us is that if nobody follows, then nobody can lead either. Nothing gets done. In the book of Romans, from the passage that we read today, Paul's writing to a church that didn't have an apostle. They didn't have a clear leader. Everywhere else an apostle had come through. He had taught them the doctrine, taught them what this is what you're supposed to believe. But they didn't have one in Rome at that time. Nobody to claim the authority. So what's the church supposed to do? And there are several churches in this city, but how do they work together in a clear direction without that teaching, without that unifying and clear leadership of that apostle? They face the same possibility as the church today, that everyone would try to become generals, And the churches would splinter off in all the different directions and nothing would get done. Foreseeing this possibility, Paul tells them, and then our big idea for today is that God unified us into one body. Therefore, we must work together. So the first point that he makes to this effect is that God transforms our body. He unifies us in part one by transforming our body. If you look with me in in verse one, Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when you think of this word sacrifice, it's it's easy to go back to maybe the Old Testament style of sacrificing animals on an altar. You've got to kill them and splatter their blood everywhere, and it's messy, and it's kind of gruesome. But Paul isn't calling for people to be sacrificed. He says for them to be a living sacrifice, meaning you're not dying right now. Um... And in order to be a sacrifice back in the Old Testament, he's still drawing on that imagery. 
But the animal had to be free of defects. It couldn't be sick. It couldn't be lame. It couldn't have any of these other things in order to be holy and acceptable to God, to be an acceptable sacrifice. And so when he's saying this, the emphasis that he's giving us here is that he's calling us as living sacrifices to be holy and acceptable to God. We use a term in the church here, we call it to be sanctified or sanctification here. Sanctification is a big old word, but here, here's kind of a definition of it. Is it's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. And so Paul's calling us to be uh, holy and acceptable and, and living sacrifices, and he's calling us to be sanctified. He's calling for us to work. And notice that in this definition of work, that the definition of sanctification, it's a work. It's something that's continually ongoing. It's not something that happens. You don't, you're not holy and perfect and acceptable to God right off the bat. It's something that happens. It's a process. The other part that I want to kind of point out here is that when he says bodies as a living sacrifice, notice the physicality of that. This isn't some spiritual or vague thing up in that, that our spirits need to be renewed and, 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 and united with God. But no, this is talking about the physical flesh, blood, and bone reality that we live in right now. Another thing was that he talked about this as a singular sacrifice. If you look in verse 1, he said, Bodies as a living sacrifice. Multiple bodies, one sacrifice. By this he's saying that all of our bodies are together one sacrifice. This is the uni- unity that he's, he's stressing here. God has unified in us as one body, and so all of us, all of our physical flesh and blood and bone bodies together are offered up as one. The unity that we attain isn't some kind of unseen thing, but is shown through the physical actions of our bodies, through our hearts, through our heads, through our hands. Now, up until this point um, in Romans, Paul had been Paul had been teaching them what they believe. This is this is the foundations of the faith. This is what you believe as a Christian. At, at chapter twelve, here serves as sort of a turning point. He goes from this is what you believe to this is what it means to live as a Christian. And the first thing he says is that your bodies are a living sacrifice. You are called to be sanctified, called to be holy and acceptable to God. This is called to a process. This is a work. Living as a Christian isn't something that you figure out immediately and you're good at it. No, this is something that you're continually learning and working. And in fact, it's not just our work, but the work of the Holy Spirit on us. God transforms our body through his work in us, and it's not instantaneous. It takes time. Working together as a body, as all of bodies as one, takes time. It's hard. It's hard to work with a lot of people. It's hard to put all the blocks in the same thing and follow one person's idea. But then he reinforces the, uh, this idea by urging them in the next verse not to be conformed to this world, but for their mind to be transformed. Not just pressing your body into the mold of Christianity. You don't get uh, a nice little mold and then you fit your arm in there and squeeze your leg into it. Don't be conformed into this. Don't be conformed into what the world wants you to be or what you think you need to be as a Christian, but to be transformed. I think a really good illustration of this, and 
I'm sure you may have heard this many times. Pastors love to use this illustration, and it, it, it's so apt. Is that of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Because when a caterpillar builds that cocoon or, or molts into the, to the chrysalis inside, he's not just molding himself into a new shape. The caterpillar gets completely dissolved into kind of a goo. And he's transformed into a butterfly by reconstituting the members. He goes from the caterpillar to dissolving to being transformed into this beautiful butterfly. And that's the picture that Paul is calling here when he says to be transformed into the life of Christ. And so just as the transformation of the caterpillar is physical... God's transformations of our bodies also involves its physicality. Eating, sleeping, exercising, even beyond that, taking care of our emotional and our mental health are part of this physical physicality of being a living sacrifice, of being transformed. Now we know that what we eat affects the makeup of, our back, of the bacteria in our gut, which also influences our emotions. Um, recently we've starting to think there's some studies out there suggesting that Alzheimer's might be caused by gingivitis bacteria. So brush your teeth. Taking care of your body doesn't mean just taking care of your muscles. Taking care of your physicality doesn't mean just being strong and going out for a walk every day, though those are good things. It also means taking care of your gut and your brain and, and what you're eating and how you're sleeping and all of these different activities. And we're supposed to do this for this purpose. Going on in verse 2 there, he says, We do this so that we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our reading of scripture and, and praying and going to church is not independent of the physicality of life. It's a strange thing because we, we think of, of conforming to God's will or of figuring out God's will as, as more of a spiritual or a mental exercise. But he's saying, no, there's a physical portion to this. Everything that we do is spiritual in nature. So often in, in history, the church has separated the spiritual realm from the physical realm. They're two, as two distinct things. But the Bible says that they are one and the same. Our physical actions have spiritual consequences. And so as we endeavor to work together... To live out our unity of God, we must be taking stock of all the different parts of our lives, from getting up and eating breakfast in the morning to when we go to bed to what we're doing for lunch. Not just the time that we spend here in church. That feels a bit overwhelming, right? Because when I get up in the morning and I'm brushing my teeth, I'm not thinking about what the spiritual consequences of that are. But remember and take comfort that this is a work. God doesn't expect us to be perfect tomorrow, and it's not us doing the work, it's Him doing the work on us. We're not expected to be able to do this ourselves. It's Him slowly transforming our bodies and, and renewing our minds such that we are able in our lives to work together and to be that one body of Christ. And for that purpose, for that purpose, for that process and that work, God, and this is our second point, God gifts everybody. He transforms each body, but he also gifts everybody. If you look with me all the way over in verse 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
prophecy in proportion to our faith, of service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Hmm. Prophecy isn't a gift that we talk about much in church, much because, and it seems like because we don't ever see it. We're used to prophecy being the, the ability to predict the future when we think of prophets. And that's true. Part of prophecy can be predicting the future, but I think there's a little bit more to that gift. Um, and perhaps a more full way of saying that would be to, in that a prophet or a prophecy would be proclaiming to the community information that God had revealed to the prophet for the church's edification. So a long list of saying that, long way of saying that prophets are people who receive information from God and, and tell the church that so it gets better. Now in the Old Testament... Being a prophet meant calling the community back to covenant faithfulness, saying, you made these promises, you're not keeping them, you need to keep them. And that wasn't a very popular job. (laughs) Most of the prophets were not very well liked during their lifetime, which maybe that's why we don't see a whole lot of prophets in our church today, (laughs) because we don't like what they have to say. I'm going to say a little disclaimer on this one, is that I'm still learning about prophecy. I don't really... Personally, I don't fully understand the difference between an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet or how they work together and all of that, mainly because I haven't, I haven't seen it in the church myself. Um, but I do know that Paul said for all of us to desire this gift in 1 Corinthians, so it's something for us to explore together, to learn. And if there is somebody who is gifted with that, to encourage that, not just to get angry when they call us out on something. The second gift he lists is, here is service. And he says to do service in service, which seems really simple. Um, but it's not so simple in application. Service also means to, to do this without expectation of payment or a return of favor, and also not necessarily with the recognition or glory that comes from doing that act. One commentator noted that the gift of service should not become an occasion of pride, but should be seen as foundation for heartfelt and sacrificial serving of others. Continuing on our list, we have the gift of exhortation, which is a a big word. And and part of it is is words of encouragement. To exhort somebody is to encourage them, to encourage them to to go on. I would say that's something that's greatly needed. Words of encouragement aren't my strong suit, but I really appreciate them when when, when people do encourage me, whether when I was a janitor and even now as a pastor. And I think that's something that everybody can enjoy. And so if that's a gift of yours, man, we need it. It's really helpful when somebody comes up and tells you that you're doing a good job or that you can push on. But it's also urging those around us to strive forward as well, to exhort them forward, to set goals and to go achieve them. See this person almost as sort of a coach, working to help others do better in what they're already doing. Commentator John Murray said, As teaching is directed to understanding, so is the exhortation to the heart and the conscious and the will. Another one we look at is contributions, coming through this list here. And our translation says to do this with generosity, the one who contributes in generosity. Literally, that word would be translated into simplicity, which seems a bit weird to give your contributions in simplicity. The meaning of that is is to have a very simple and singular goal. When you are contributing to do it with the glory of God in mind, with the abundance of giving that he's allowed you to do and not for your own personal glory. 
Paul's encouraging the one who gives to others to do so straightforwardly, without ulterior motives. It's easier for us to think of this word as generosity, which is why I think this is it's a common translation of it. But similarly, this means without expectation of return or recognition, just like those acts of service. Give because the Lord has seen fit to give so much to you. All right, working our way down through the list, we get to leadership. Leadership here, not necessarily talking about one person. It's not necessarily talking about the singular person. Instead, it's talking about the elders or the leaders in your church. Um, which, by the way, let me plug that we've got nominations for consistory coming up. <laughs> if you don't want to be, if you, if you don't feel like this is your gifting or this is the position you want to be in, feel free to take your name off. But this is a really important position, and he says to do this with zeal. Paul's saying that if you are in this position, do it not just by enough to get by, but fully using the gift that God has given you, because you are a person that is in a position of, in, of leadership of the church, of figuring us, helping us figure out how to live as one body. Lastly, he talks about the acts of mercy. This one's an interesting one because he says, do acts of mercy with cheerfulness which seems like a really easy thing to do. I'm helping somebody out. Why wouldn't I be cheerful about that? And yet, if anyone has this gift of mercy and you have been working with people who are continually needing mercy, you know just how hard it can be to be cheerful in this because it continues and it's a cycle and it goes over and over and over again often. Um, heard a story there was once a person helping a couple out who couldn't afford their last night in a hotel and so the person helped them out and, and they put them on their own credit card for the night sure enough the next morning they get a call people started smoking in the room and then when they got kicked out they stole the bed covers and the pillows as well and that's when your act of mercy is really hard to do in cheerfulness and though we're at the end of the list here that this isn't the full list. If you read in the other books, in, in, in Corinthians or in Ephesians, Paul goes on to list other things and, and, and more gifts than are just this. And so this kind of leads us to the conclusion that though these are the gifts that he mentions, these aren't the full list. These are maybe some of the gifts that you're going to see in a lot of different churches. But everyone, every church is going to have a plethora or a wide diversity of gifts that people have, are given, and it can be used towards the church. And so... In these, we have an example of how to use them and how to apply these different gifts that aren't listed here. One illustration that I, I like to think of is, is it's like sitting down to a fancy dinner, a four-course dinner. Back when I was in college, I got to take a dinner etiquette little seminar class. So you go and you sit down and, and they have the whole all the plates and all the silverware and all the glasses, goblets, and butter knives and everything spread out before you. And they would teach you how to use or what each utensil was for. And it seems so intimidating at first because there's so many things and this feels so formal, but the, the rule is is that everything's meant to be practical. Every f the, the shorter fork versus the longer fork versus the position of the knife and the spoon and, and the glasses and every place where they're at, everything is meant to work together for the process of eating the meal and they all are supposed to be very practical. There's no formality here. Um, they're meant to complement each other. They're meant to, to work towards that one singular purpose. And just like the different utensils will work towards that, just as every plate, glass, and utensil has its place during the use of a meal, so all the gifts given to our church and given to the people in our church have their uses. And without the use of some or many of these gifts, 
Well, we don't live up to our full potential. Sometimes we may start building houses, and as we see here, and we don't have an extra wall. Somebody else's gift is missing. And so today, what we're doing um, in response and in, in, in view of these giftings and talents that, that God has given is we're asking you guys to fill out a spiritual gifts inventory. And this is just the card saying that you would like to fill it out either by email or, or by physical copy. Um, if you do it by email and you hand it in, we'll have guys at the back of the, the, the sanctuary at the end of the service. We'll email it to you. If you'd like a physical copy today, we'll hand it to you right here and now. And so we can, you, can, you can fill it out um, as your name comes. But we're asking you to fill this out. One so that you know. And perhaps many of you have taken this gifts inventory already. And perhaps you have an idea of what your giftings are or what you're good at. So I'd encourage you even still, take this again. Be encouraged. Get, re, get affirmation. Yep, this is, what, this is what my talent is. This is the gift that God has given me. If you're not sure, if you have no idea, if you don't fit in one of these lists and you're not sure where your gifts or your talents might be, take this and, and use it as a tool to help figure out. But I would say in addition to this, talk to people. Talk to the people around you. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. They're the ones who've seen you, who have interacted with you. They know you well. And they can, be, they can say, yes, you are a person, an active service person, or you are great at encouraging. And you might not have even known that about yourself because it comes so naturally. That's one of the things about these gifts is there are often things that come so naturally and so easily for us that we, we don't realize that it is a gift in and of itself. Um, so yeah, so I'd ask you to fill this out, to make that commitment of, of figuring out what your talents are and, and how you can use them. And for this purpose, with these gifts, God does something. We talked about our big idea is God unified the body, unifies all of us into one body. And so we each have these separate gifts. We each have all of these gifts that we can, we can put together. And what he does with this, and this is our third point today, is that God interconnects each body. Each individual, each person in the community is interconnected with one another. So if you look with me in verse 3, going backwards a little bit. Before he lifts off, lists off the gifts, Paul gives us these instructions. Do not think more highly of oneself than one ought to think, but think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And this is where Paul addresses that kind of soldier versus general concept that I was learning in fourth grade. Um, each one of us has faith. Each one of us is part of the body of Christ. And yet the faith for each one of us, our faith looks different from one another. And so he goes on into verse 4, and he says, For as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. See, the foot, and part of the body that's a foot is really good at being a foot. And so we ask the feet to do our walking for us. It just seems natural. The hands are really good at being hands, so we ask them to hold things and to turn things, and, and we let them to lead the way when it comes to working on things. And yet the feet, when you walk, aren't the only part of the body engaged. Neither are the hands the, usually the only part of, part of the body engaged when you're holding things. We swing our arms to propel us forward. right? We use our eyes to be able to use our hands more effectively. So Paul is saying in different areas, different people are gifted in those areas, need to be the leaders and generals there, but there's still room for the other gifts to be used, to be used as those followers. Um, 
The other parts of the body are still needed to get those tasks done. Verse 5, I think, is, is a potent counter to that individualism we talked about at the beginning, how there's the emphasis, that pressure to, to go do your own thing. Um, but verse 5 calls us members one of another, meaning that everybody isn't just an individual, but we each have a membership in and of each other. We each work with each other. The gifts that each other have um, are not property of each other. Wait, the gifts of each other are property of each other, but not in the communist sense, which takes away personal ownership, meaning that one gift is everybody's. Different people have different gifts, but in the communal sense, we are all dependent on each other. We are all dependent on the gifts that each one brings to the table. I always think of, I didn't watch this show much, but it was always hit me like that of the Power Rangers. I don't know if you guys ever saw the Power Rangers, and so you've got the, the, the different Rangers, five or six or however many they were, and they would each fight independently, but then when they would face a threat that was too big, they would join together into one large mega structure called the Megazord or something like that, and then they would be able to tackle it, and they would be so much more powerful together. And that's a bit of an illustration of how the life in the church works, is we each are individuals, and we each can work individually on some of the smaller tasks, but when we're engaging in a bigger ministry or in in tackling a bigger need, working together, coming together as one body helps us overcome that problem, overcome that challenge. God has gifted us as individuals, but for the purpose that we would work together as one body. Now we're going to have, as I talked a bit before earlier, we have that natural inclination to use our gifts. Um, Usually gifts aren't work. They don't feel like hard work or boring work or things that we don't like to do. Sometimes they do. But we're usually pretty good at using them too. And so, but having a bunch of generals without any soldiers limits what we can get done. So don't only use our talents in the areas where we can lead. Don't only use your talents if you're a hand and we're holding things. Also look for use in the areas where we can support other people's talents, where we can support the walking by the swinging of our arms. Some of the examples of this, perhaps if you don't have the gift of teaching, but you enjoy serving, see how you can support the people teaching with your service. Or if you're good at the exhorting and the encouraging, but don't enjoy service, don't enjoy going up and painting on a Saturday afternoon, see how you can encourage the people of those who are serving and Go say to those people who were painting, hey, that looks good. Glad you did a good job. That really looks nice. We already have a few examples of this. There's lots of examples of this in the church, but a few to name. Um, We have people who make blankets. For those of us, when we go on hospital visits, we take the blankets with and give them to them. They're not necessarily wanting to go on hospital visits themselves, but they'll make the blankets to help us with our hospital visits. Or we have others who are writing devotionals when we visit the sick. Or we have those painting the upstairs so we can have a better space for fellowship. And we could go on and on and on from from the teachers in the back for doing children's worship to our tech team, to our, our worship leaders up front and how each one of these gifts works together. But the point is that we're all dependent on each other. Our body, our church is dependent on one another to use these gifts, not just as leaders, in leadership as well, but also in support of one another. We're all going to be followers in some areas and leaders in others. And contrary to our culture, which, which 
wants us only to use our gifts where we can have the glory and we can be the leaders and we can get the recognition. Community thrives when we have us, when each one of us are also followers. And we're all followers. We're all followers together because we follow the one true king. We follow our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because, and the reason we follow him is that because, though we were aligned against him, though we tried to be generals on the other side, he gave himself as the perfect sacrifice in the body and the flesh so that when we rose again, we could have life with him. And through his perfect sacrifice, his spirit transforms us. It, it works upon us so that we can become more unified and works upon us to help us work together to be good and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is shown to the world through the work of our bodies and through the life of our community here in church, as well as throughout in the other communities we have as well. Yeah. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Father, <clears throat> thank you for the thank you for the gifts and the passions that you've given us. Thank you for the work that you've given us to use these gifts and passions in. Um, Lord, we ask that as we seek to become um, good and pleasing and holy sacrifices to you and seek to learn your will, that you would do the work, that you would do it for us and be leading us and that we can follow you, Lord, um, and that you would also empower us when, when you show us where we need to lead. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.